to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, on today's really special episode, I have the opportunity to talk with and have a really intense conversation with the wonderful artist Krista Juhyun D'Angelo. I first met Krista through Neen, who I interviewed on episode 16, and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Um, Shortly after meeting Krista at one of Neen's gatherings, uh, I ran into Krista again while we were both installing our work at an exhibition curated by a mutual friend, Justin Ross, and since then we've remained in touch. Krista started her studies at MICA, or the Maryland Institute College of Art, and she finished up at the Academy of Fine Arts in Krakow, Poland. Shortly after, she moved to Berlin and has lived in Berlin ever since. Krista works primarily in installation, sculpture, video, neon, and collage. This particular interview coincides with Krista's recent exhibition at Gallery and Tomb, which is titled Ghost, and the show runs until August 18th, so please go and see that show before it comes down. As a multimedia immersive installation, Krista's show looks at the extent to which shame, stigma, and isolation can be transformed into strength and self-empowerment and expanding the complex and diverse narratives relating to HIV and AIDS activism. Krista writes that her exhibition is intended as a feminist contribution to discourses addressing toxic relationships and sexually transmitted diseases, through which women, in particular women of color, have historically been silenced, and now, as and then, are rendered invisible. Our particular conversation meanders through these topics, and although I'm definitely not an expert in this subject, I still hope that you find our conversation to be as interesting as I did in listening to Krista tell her process and stories. Also, on July 30th at 7pm, Krista will host an artist talk at the gallery with Alfonsina Bakambamba of Deutsche Aidshilfe, and I hope I said that name correctly. Um, But if you're in Berlin, by Frankfurter Tour 1, please swing by and show your support. This recording took place at Krista's beautiful flat, so you may hear some occasional footsteps from her dog and the occasional wind chimes. Hopefully, they aren't too much of a distraction. And with that, let's get on with the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. it's it's cool. Alles klar. Alles klar, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right now, I'm in Krista Juhyun D'Angelo's house, apartment. Yes. It's a very top floor. It's really beautiful and it's... <sighs> It's a finally sunny day in yes. Berlin. It's been quite cloudy. Oh yeah, uh, the past few weeks. But yeah, how are you doing, Krista? Oh, it's been doing uh, pretty well. I'm a little bit tired from yeah. the last couple of months or several months because I was I've been really busy with um, an exhibition that I um, had worked on for a long time, and it had opened the Fourth of July. So I'm just dealing with a lot of yeah, like just uh, I guess exhaustion from the exhibition and things like that and so we've had a lot of visitors and I've had a lot of friends coming by so I've been there I mean I'm not at the exhibition obviously every day but you know there are a few times and people request to see the show and you know I take them through it because it's a pretty intense exhibition I've had a lot of friends that come that have come by and they are 
you know, in the arts and, um, the opening was pretty well attended. I mean, it was yeah, fairly, it was. yeah, it was fairly packed and there were a lot of, um, really nice people there and also people I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed myself and it was a relief to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll get back to that towards the, I guess, middle or end part, but I was curious, tell me about your practice, your work, how you got into art, how you mm. came to Berlin. Mm. Well, I, I always have been doing art since I was, I mean, really since I could remember, I guess, five years old. And, um, it was something that I did on a after school basis and it always kept me very, uh, I was always very serious about it and I took it really, it was definitely something that, you know, could bring me places. And what I was kind of art were you making? I mean, I was a kid, so I did like drawings and, you know, everything that was, I guess, about a kid's world, yeah. you know, and then I was taking more formal classes mm -hmm. after school. And obviously when I got into high school, it got more serious. And then I was in the Cooper Union High School program and weekend programs. So you grew up programs. in New York. Yes. And it was... I was lucky and fortunate enough to have that because obviously New York City is one of the most, is one of the biggest cities and metropolises for art yeah, and yeah. contemporary art. So in that way, I was very lucky to have all of this access. And, um, you know, I, as I got older, I got more and more exposed to different kinds of art and, you know, what that means and how does art reflect society how it reflects politics, all of these kind of questions. So it came, you know, as I got older, you know, I obviously, you know, matured and changed. And, you know, you think about your own experiences and what that means, you know, who am I in the whole spectrum of the art world and art history. So, you know, I always, oh, art was always something that was involved in my life since mm. I was really young and I'm jealous no no it's <laughs> I mean it, I, I was very disciplined I mean the thing is I was very disciplined yeah. and you know going to school and then going to an after school program for several hours and also on Saturdays mm. and summer school every day was very serious yeah. and it's not like you know I had a lot of money for this I was involved in these programs for free yeah and I also had to work very hard to maintain my status in the school because I went for free and begin to a free program. You don't want to slack off. Yeah. And the teachers expected a lot from you. The students were really talented. So I had a really wonderful opportunity very young. And, you know, of course, as I got older and I got into, you know, art college, it was, uh, you know, things were, ch things changed and it was like, you know, all of my ideas of art changed completely. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, is that what university is supposed to do? <laughs> I think so. I mean, you, I hope, hopefully. You went to MICA, right? I went to MICA for that? a bit. Um, I can say my, well, all the art schools, I think in the United States are really, you know, they're private or outrageously expensive. Yeah. And um, I didn't find my experience there wonderful in terms of questioning the authority and questioning the institution on questions about it's so expensive to go to school here. Yeah. I mean, we're talking student loans that will 
really be making you pay student debt for years and years、yeah. and years. You cannot maintain an art practice with a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And so I said to the institution and my teachers, I said, I think it's it's a little bit problematic that the only people that can continue to make art after their art college are going to be people that can afford to do that. That's not. Art, in my opinion, that's not representative of real life. And art, for me, is a reflection of real life and real life experience. And that was something that they didn't want to talk about.、Yeah. However,、um, I did have one teacher that was fantastic, and、um, I, I think he's kind of gotten a name for himself now. So I studied under T.J. Demos when I was eighteen,、mm-hmm. and he's he's pretty big in、uh, the.、Um, Well, he's an art historian and he's an art critic, and he's been doing pretty well for himself, talking about the ethnographic scene and also ecology in art. And also before that, he was working with a lot of post-colonial theories and practices. So he was a really wonderful teacher to have when I was very young. What、and、did he teach you? We focused on morally, or what did you learn that was so wonderful about that? He was very critical and he was tough. Yeah, he was tough on me. Oh yeah, he was tough on all the students, which was wonderful because you know I remember there were times when I was sitting in the class and it was you know an art history class of modernism and after, and I remember sitting there. And、uh, I didn't really want to say anything, and he was like, "So, what do you think about that?" And I was like, "Oh,、uh, <laughs> and I remember I was like, I had nothing to say. I was really embarrassed." But、um, in that sense,、um, he was a very challenging professor when it came to thinking very critically about art and modernism and after. So we were、mm-hmm. looking at what was going on. In Europe, in particular, and how particular works of art reflected the ideologies and social movements, and the hopes, dreams, desires, and also, I suppose, failures of what was going on in Europe, post-war Europe, I should say. So, I was very curious about what was going on in 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 Europe because of these reasons, and I had an opportunity to go to Poland, and I didn't really want to spend much time in America at the time because we were going through. It was right after nine eleven. It was during the Bush years, which two thousand like eleven, twelve, two thousand one. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, thinking at my dates. Yeah, nine eleven, two thousand one. So yeah, it, I knew something was going radically wrong in America at the time, and I was not wanting to. I was wanting to jump ship, and I was also, you know, more curious about art from Europe because we were, America was going through a really hard time, and we had a lot of pop art, which of course I grew up with, and I knew a lot about, but. At the time, we had all the YBAs, all the young British artists from Sensation exhibition in London, and they were really like art I've never seen before. I mean, I remember, you know, all these amazing artists like Tracy Emin, Sarah Lucas, and you know, did Dino's Chapman Brothers. I I never saw art like that before. It was very very. Um, it wasn't going to like the New York institutions. No, it's in the Brooklyn Museum of Art, but I've never seen American art like that.、Mm, okay, American okay. art didn't have that kind of edge. It、mm. didn't also have that kind of robust and visceral, dark, very political edge that you know all these artists from Europe were having. And I think obviously that had a lot to do with Margaret Thatcher and what was going on in politics at the time in Europe. So you know, I think for me it was very exciting to kind of be. To have this idea of going to Europe, you know, traveling around, seeing how things go, and yeah, Poland was definitely a challenging experience. Do you think, having been here, that that romanticization was an American romanticization, or do you think that was true about European art doing these things? 
I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't really have many expectations. Okay. You know, I didn't have expectations at all. And my expectations were, you know, um, just going to just going there, figuring things out. But I can tell you, Europe was not like how I imagined it to be. And my imagination wasn't about baguettes and cheese and, <laughs> you know, all these kind of things that you see in the movies, I'm all that kind of stuff. I think when I was in college, what was my imagination? I don't remember what I imagined Europe to be. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't have any expectations, yeah, yeah. but I knew, you know, from from art and from, you know, literature that, it, there, you know, some of it was pretty dark. And we're talking about hardcore winters in Poland. That was intense for me. And you have to understand growing up in America, especially in the New York City area. I mean, it's one of the most diverse places in America. And going from that to Poland, yeah. which was very homogenous, was wow, man. That was really like a reality yeah. check. It was very, I mean, it was a good experience, I have to say. But, you know, I wasn't it really was, it was a very challenging thing. And I think everybody in their lifetime should have that experience of being the other. I think it's a really yeah. important experience everybody should have. And it really... Although you don't need to go to Europe for that. You don't need to go to Europe for that. <laughs> no, to like you can... Midwest or you can go, anywhere outside New York City, yeah. actually. Just an yeah. hour outside Hudson Valley, wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, but you know, you could... I mean, it was a really important thing that I, I went to school in Poland. And, you know, I did an exhibition there in November at the Pomada... This past, this past winter? Yeah, oh, at okay. the Pomada um, Queer Festival in Warsaw. And I had a wonderful time and it was really good to go back and exhibit there and see how much Poland has changed because, you know, there are a lot of very serious things going on in Poland when it comes to discrimination. Yeah. And when you are from the LGBTQ community, I mean, that in Poland is very serious. Yeah. And I was very happy to partake in this festival and exhibition because it was challenging all of these ideas that are very, you know, guarded in Poland. And so when you went to Poland, was that just for a year? It seems like you stayed in Europe for a bit after. Yeah, I, I stayed in Pol I stayed in Poland for four months. And then I said, I don't want to continue my studies in America, America yeah. I, because I knew I wanted to stay in Europe. Um, I was, I think, 21 at the time. And so, so I, gutsy. yeah, it was horrible, but uh, I didn't know. I would never do it again, but uh, you, know? I was, you know, I was young, you know, I was young and I was curious and I was, you know, the world was in front of me. I didn't have any, I didn't really have an idea of what I was going to do, but I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wanted to stay in Europe and eventually move to Berlin because everything in the art world was hap in Europe was happening in London and Berlin at the time. So I wanted to definitely position myself somewhere in Europe. And mm -hmm. so I was very strategic in that. But being in Poland, I was there for three years. Of course, I went back home for the summer because school breaks. So you finished, you stayed at that school? Yeah, okay. I finished up and I got my bachelor's, my BFA from the Academy of Fine Arts in Krakow, Poland. Okay. And, um, you know, it was a wonderful experience at the time. I may... I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I could have, but in retrospect, I say that about all my experiences. Yeah, at that age. it's just like you kind of say, like I should have done that differently. Yeah, but yeah. you know, really, I I had a wonderful time. In retrospect, I learned a lot, and it really prepared me mentally for what would be my future in Berlin, which is also, I mean, Berlin is also an experienced the East. I mean, it was also in the in the iron curtain yeah. so there were things that poland revealed to me mm. that i didn't yet understand that i could 
eventually relate to when mm. I would be in Poland and Berlin many years later. So that was something that really was instrumental in my experience today in Berlin. And also when I arrived, it really helped put like a missing puzzle piece in this and big puzzle. Could you describe that puzzle piece? Um, like what was about, what did you realize that it helped you help relate to present Berlin? I mean, it's called, it's cold war politics. I mean, I mean, that's very complicated to say mm. the least. And, uh, you know, I, I understood that, you know, during the cold war, I mean, obviously there was the Soviet bloc and Berlin and Poland and many other East European countries were in this behind the iron curtain and, many people's mentalities were also constructed and affected by this experience. And it was something that I could also see when I was living in Berlin, there were differences and I didn't really know how to, I didn't have the language to really understand that. Yeah. But being in Poland, I could kind of put it together in a way, mm. but also it was just about, you know, when I look at art in Poland and I look at art from Russia or Czech Republic, East Germany, it all kind of has the same, you know, um, thought processes and it, it was different from what was going on in West Germany. So it helps you understand mm. by basis of comparison, what was happening in the world at the time in politics and people's minds in their desires and their hopes and their dreams and their futures, their expectations. So in that way, it was really, it was kind of beneficial that I was in Poland for that time you know, eventually in Berlin, you know, Ber Germany is a very, let's say, is a country that experienced a lot of disarray politically yeah. in, you know, the last decades. And you can see that everywhere, especially in Berlin. And, you know, living here, it also was some a reality that confronted me on a daily basis. And this is just as a consequence of who I am, what I look like. And, you know, I didn't really know how to deal with that. So I dealt with it in an artwork called Past, Present, Tense, which is about racism in Germany, mm -hmm. looking at the former East GDR experience and West German experience. And that was something for me, which was very important to understand how the how East Germany, how it kind of constructed people's attitudes identity. about difference about identity yes yeah yeah did, how did you slowly move that make that shift between i guess going from models still lives i assume sculpture at some point to then these sort of videos um well you know again like if you, i i came from a very traditional background of very serious rigorous drawing me too that's painting, curious. <laughs> very realistic but you know you develop a language and you develop also an idea of how to think critically and my teachers who were really wonderful taught me how to think critically and how to be very aware of who you are in this whole timeline of art history and who am i who am i what do I have to contribute? What do I have to say? And what I have to say living in Berlin was how do I deal with this experience of being the other? How, how do I deal with the experience of also of, you know, who I am that yeah. I'm being confronted with on a daily basis. And Germany is a very diverse country, but it has yet to acknowledge that 
Germany is also made up of many different kinds of Germans, let's yeah. just say. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was something I wanted to deal with in my work. And I didn't really know how to do that, honestly. So video was yeah. a video was a way for me to try to understand real experience, an experience that has more to do with living it rather than coming up with a theory. So yeah. past, present tense was all made up of interviews of Germans and Germans of color mostly yeah. and dealing with this and different generations, I should say, coming from different places in Germany, West, East. And it was all about the combined experience of how do Germans and Germans of color think about and relate to race mm. in Germany and in their private and social lives. How was that piece received here? I'm really curious. I'm that. not sure. Oh, okay. really. <laughs> um, I think that it played a lot and I guess it was, I mean, I, I made it to, I made it because I was dealing with these questions, but I didn't make it to try to be provocative, yeah. but I could imagine that it was challenging for certain people to hear because it was always dealing with this question of who is German, who is allowed to be German? What does a German look like? Yeah. And where are you really from? And where you're really from is Germany, but there's all this different layers of, yeah, but what, but what about this? Yeah. And, you know, these questions were the shared questions and experiences of everyone that I had worked with. That's true. And no, no, you know, we, we know, no one knew each other. So this was something that was a reoccurring theme. And that's how I dealt with it. I mean, I didn't really know how to deal with it. In all honesty, I didn't know how to, I was, I don't really have a background in, in, in video at all. So this was something very special to me. The good thing about art is you don't need to have a background in anything. No, <laughs> you don't need to have a background in anything, but you need to have an idea. Yeah. That's very important. It helps if you have a lot of different little experiences here and there. But, you know, the more I started working with video and time-based media, the more I realized that it was a very powerful tool to talk about very complex narratives that I couldn't do in sculpture or collage. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, yeah, the sculptures and the neons and all the other works, um, that I do, you know, it has its strengths, but it also has a weakness and video for me was more dealing with real life experience. And it's not something you could just theorize or come up with like, you know, an academic kind of, um, you know, uh, paper, so the videos were really all about real life. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about with your projects? Are they each sort of different? So like I was just looking, you went from like past, present, future, then you had the horse racing, mm. and then you have your current show with Lillian. And they're such vast topics. Like I think Yeah, of, they're I think, huge. Like I think of my videos and they seem really small topic wise. They're, my videos are like these like little small stories, but yours is like tackling like society. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, yeah, what is what's your I process? Mean, I'm still an artist that's like thirty six and I'm still figuring out who I am as an artist and yeah. who am I also as a person. And life doesn't stop when you're in your thirties or forties or fifties. You still keep growing as an artist. And in my opinion, I think women as they get older, they get to be they their their art becomes stronger. And I, you know, I have realized that, you know, as I've gotten older, I've 
you know, really try to make big jumps in my artistic processes and my artistic thinking mm-hmm. and modes of thinking. But, you know, every time I have the opportunity to do a solo exhibition, I'm always thinking about different topics, different big ideas and how we're going to talk about these big ideas. So I can say, I think the, the video that really was defining me as an artist it was past present tense it was about race and it was about it was very personal and it was also very intimate and i think all of my bigger works are defined by how intimate they are how personal but also how they tackle they tackle big ideas in a very delicate way so um the past present tense dealt with racism in germany and the history and invisible history of germans of color and how they deal with post-colonialism in Germany, how they deal with race and these and cultural amnesia of the past. Um, fast forward a couple of years later, about a year and a half later, I did an exhibition called Winner Takes All, which was about freelance labor conditions in horse racing. Also dealing with high stakes, masculinity, um, and we, how we deal with immigration and uh, I mean, obviously that's a big topic for me. And that, I mean, horse racing is a sport that's based on class. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm involved also in horse riding and I want to do this because I didn't know that jockeys were freelancers. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And I got very excited about it. And I could kind of see parallels between horse racing and the contemporary art market and art world. And um, that's why I wanted to do it. So I always research my exhibitions for about a year and a half, two years. Um, they take a long time because videos do take a very long time to do. You need yeah. very strong organizational skills. And I usually do, you know, a big video complemented by other small videos and other works like neons, collages, um, sculptures. So Winner yeah, takes all. You, you do like a great job of having Thank you. full yeah. immersion installations. Yeah, it's very painful. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> process, but I always try to do to really provide a very strong o- array of works that elaborate on a very particular theme. And it kind of goes from there. So the current exhibition, after I finished Winter Takes All in in the winter of 2016, I started work on this particular exhibition. But obviously I had nowhere in sight to, I I didn't really know what what I was going to do with it, but I knew I had to start doing it. You just make before the show happens, right? Yeah, I start researching on a subject. Um, So I started working two years ago on Protest and Desire, which is the main video work in the exhibition Ghosts, which is on right now at Gallerium Tom. And Protest and Desire deals with how women of color deal with STDs and in particular HIV and racism, aging, interracial relationships in Germany, but also I would say in the Western world and the white world. So mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a huge theme and it definitely was going to need a lot of time for sure. And so how did you... How did you end up meeting Lillian? And I mean, I, I can't really talk about that okay. too much, but, um, you know, Lillian and I met two years ago and uh, she was fantastic, very funny. And what I really liked about her was that she was always smiling. She was always um, very strong protagonist, strong ideas. She, you know, we got along real well. And, you know, we talked about these themes very seriously for a long time. And, you know, we would meet and, you know, have coffee and have 
food and talk about things. Oh, and just to clarify for the audience, Lillian's the main protagonist in, yes, Lillian, in, in, in Krista's video piece. Yes, uh, Lillian is the main protagonist in Protest and Desire. And so we, because the themes were going to be so big, it definitely needed time. Mm-hmm. It needed time and it needed a lot of, you know, talking. So we did that. And I was very fortunate that uh, I was the Gallerium Tome, which is a part of Batanian, had given me this opportunity to have this exhibition when I told them about it. And uh, Sylvia Zajinsky, who's curator, I have to say, really gave me a good chance. And also, I wasn't going to do this show without funding because this video was going to be in- intense. I didn't want to do this video unless I could get funding, which thank God I got yeah. from the from Gallerium Tome. And also I got the district Friedrichshain, um, Friedrichshain Kreuzberg Stipendium. Okay. So I was happy about that because it made everything possible for the show. So yeah, Lillian was wonderful and I wanted to continue working with her. She was just, you know, we got along and everything in the video is, is the result of our conversations. Yeah, You know, it's not just about her, it's about the both of us in a way. And how we kind of were thinking about these ideas because they are very serious and they're very personal, but they're quite global at the same time. And that was what I was trying to do with this particular piece. How do you go from something very, very big? How do you deal with a history that is going to confront HIV and STDs? That's a big history and that's serious. That's a global history. How do you deal with something so huge like that in a video that's only 20 minutes? You knew you wanted it to be 20 minutes? Yeah, okay. I knew it was going to be 20 minutes, not more than that. And I told everybody I worked with, I said, we're not doing more than 20 minutes for mm-hmm. it. And I knew it was going to require some space, but I knew I wasn't going to go over that because I knew in this particular setting, in an exhibition setting, I couldn't ask my audience to sit there for more than 20 minutes, for sure not. The longest my video has gone so far is like 16. Yeah, I mean, even 16 is a good amount, yeah, but it's that, still even that's short. Pushing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, you know, I knew I didn't want to go longer than that yeah of course i've done it in the past and it was i wouldn't say it's a mistake but you know you make work and you you learn a lot from it yeah yeah could you just quickly describe how the the final video took its form and the decisions you decided to have a two-channel video yeah so chris had this beautiful like floating almost floating screen basically yeah. Uh, and it was a two channel video. Yeah. I always imagined a two channel video for this particular okay. work. Yeah. It had to be two channel from day one. How'd you, how'd you know that? I just it's, saw it in my head okay. and, uh, you know, the, the work makes itself. I don't make the work sometimes for this particular, for the videos, the work makes itself. I never have an idea what it's going to be like. The work makes itself. And I knew like, I knew I wanted to use cherry blossoms. I knew I wanted to use swans. I wanted to use very soft imagery that would be more about memories that people could relate to. It would be very easy. Anybody who could could access the work, they didn't have to have an art background. I mean, where I come from, we don't have an art background where I come from. No one I know, my family, we didn't have this. And I wanted to make all of my work grounded so it, people could understand it. Do your parents, what do your parents think about your art? I don't know. Uh, okay. My dad has an idea, you know, he always likes everything. But I think it's, I think the topics are challenging to yeah. say the least for people who don't talk about this very often, for sure, it's going to be challenging for anybody. I mean, it does make you uncomfortable, but you know, I think talking about anything that's taboo is going to make people uncomfortable, but this piece was going to be two channel. 
it was I, it was going to I knew we were dealing with multiple themes where we were dealing with, you know, a lot of intense imagery. And I wanted to make this much more abstract because if you're dealing with such a subject, I didn't want to have all these images that were scary. They needed to be delicate and they needed to be beautiful. So I found my cinematographer online and she was just amazing. I knew she was the right person to do it. Julia Geese was fantastic. So she did a great job. And, you know, everyone that worked on this video could relate to those themes of discrimination, multiple mm -hmm. forms of discrimination. That was very important for me as the person that made the video, that everybody who worked on this particular piece had a shared experience mm. and they brought their own experiences and ideas to this project. Because if you're in an opportunity, which I was in, you need to also give other opportunities yeah. for people that might not have those opportunities. And also we're dealing with very serious themes. We're dealing with um, race, we're dealing with feminism, we're dealing with HIV, yeah. STDs. Those are pretty serious. So I wanted to make sure that the people I worked with were going to be sensitive and understand what that means yeah. for them personally, because they could all, they could see it. So no white men on, on your group? No, that yeah. wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, Julia, you know, is, is German. She's also half Korean and uh, Julia has been working with these themes also in her work and I could see it in her work and she was the perfect person. Um, the sound designer was Sam Sam Shen. She was also a friend and a friend of friends, fantastic to work with. She obviously had a lot of great ideas about how to relate to all the themes yeah. in the main video and also the other videos that she was the sound designer for. So um, it was very important that, you know, the team was able to understand all of these kind of dynamics and, you know, everybody also could see everyone's work, really like it, and also have an idea about what we were dealing with because you cannot do a piece like this without very long-term planning and having delicate hands. Yeah, you have to think about yeah. those things because otherwise, you know, there are many, if you go to art collections and art museums, you have many pictures of women in those collections, yeah. but they are usually made by men. And a lot of these paintings, these old paintings of women that were nude were made, were made for men to masturbate over. So it doesn't matter if somebody is being represented, it might not you have to look at the infrastructure and you have to also look at the institution and you have to think about who is making those pictures. And, you know, I, so, sometimes I work in like fashion or like uh, commercial projects, which are really fun because you get to meet so many amazing creative people, um, light designers, art directors, fashion stylists, and set designers, really amazing people. And, um, a friend of mine is a, a stylist and he's been working with this guy, Nicola Formichetti. I didn't know who he was, but I know he's half uh, Italian and Japanese. And he was a former uh, director, a creative director of Dazed. And then he ended up being the the uh, creative director for Lady Gaga and mm -hmm. designer. And um, he's been doing a lot of great work in his in the fashion industry. And he's talking and he speaks very openly about his hiring practices mm -hmm. and it's not about putting models that are you know let's say not the most standard looking models it's also who you hire and you know that the institution the art institutions especially in Europe and in Germany they need to understand that it's not just about representation in the artworks it's about who's making the artworks and also who is also being employed yeah. and we all know that there are very serious um, gender gaps in wages 
and I don't know if they made any studies with women of color are probably not uh, as as uh, paid as much as their male counterparts or their white male counterparts or their counterparts that are white women. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I see that a lot. I just saw. Do you know? Do you know Savi Contemporary? Yes, of course. I just saw a talk by Bonapartur. Yes, he described. His, I thought it was like a really beautiful statement. He's like Savi is in the belly of the beast. Mm. exist in the belly of the beast and mm. it is a beast that tells you that you're so good that that's the why you're in the belly you very know? funny yeah but like you know but was, you know but sort of like this idea that you know just existing is a form of resistance but you're but you're also like told you're doing good without actually understanding what that means right yeah now. i i don't really i mean you know it's i guess it's all subjective in a way i mean i I have to say I'm very lucky to have done the projects I've done without, you know, someone saying like, you can't do this or don't, um, don't make your work like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get criticism and I want my, I want the criticism because you cannot grow as an artist or as a person without criticism, self-criticism included, but you know, I get criticism from my friends and I expect that because I want to be a better artist and I want to be a better person and I expect criticism about what I do because, you know, I'm an artist and, you know, whatever means something to me might not mean the same for somebody else. And how, you know, how do you deal with those questions? And it is a, it's a responsibility at the end of the day. I think it's a responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was, um, Lillian's impression of the piece that you made of her? Oh, well, she loved it. I mean, she, I, I actually finished the piece installing it probably the day of the exhibition because there were some technical things that needed to be sorted out. Lillian loved it and she said she never saw anything like this before. I mean, Lillian has been working in the HIV field many years and also the discrimination field in Germany for many years. She is an expert. She knows what she's talking about. And um, she said she never saw anything like it. There was somebody there who I will do an artist talk with July 30th, Alfredine Bakambamba. I hope I say that right. Who is she? She is from, she is with Deutsche Aidshilfe and she works in the migration women and drug department at Deutsche mm-hmm. Aidshilfe. She's fantastic. Yeah. And um, she said she also never saw anything like it before. And, and I was like, people don't make work like this. They're like, no. And I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, no, no, people don't care. And I was like, you think that's true? And she's like, well, maybe that's why. Well, I don't know. The, the systems of power doesn't care. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, but you know, the thing is, I think what Lillian said, she hasn't seen something like this. And maybe because most of the time when there, there are, I guess, programs or something like this made, it's more statistics and stuff and not so arty. So maybe because they don't work with artists, it's, it's, it's just a different experience, but you know, yeah, Lillian was really impressed. I mean, we we covered so many topics together and, you know, the interview that I did with her in the, you know, that's in Protest and Desire was the interview that we did in one day. That was the combination of all the things that we talked about. Yeah, that was on camera. Oh, wow. So that was four hours and we just went over, you know, what do you think is good? Let's go over this. Let's talk about this. And, you know, it was very calculated. I mean, all those works that I do that are video works, they're very calculated. The other artworks are more in your face. They're more fun, playful, but there is a very serious amount of, you know, very precise thinking involved with those works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and it's sort of a reaction to what you said about 
you know, not really seeing these that often or, or people don't see these kind of works is, you know, I think that's what was so interesting about the piece, right? Because you're talking about white supremacy and how the invisible nature of who gets to talk about what. Yeah, and, of course. And, I mean, the video specifically, like women of color, black women with HIV and how that's usually not thought of and yeah. um, especially in Berlin, yes. the white gay scene and mm. HIV, but you can see that also, you can say the same thing about New York, yeah. with ACT UP. There's very, you know, it was who got to be represented in those situations yeah. and that then you can extrapolate that to be like also who's in power of course, in the art world and yeah, you know, um, that was something that I was definitely struggling with because also I noticed in the queer communities in Berlin, I feel like there is a level of, you know, again, it's about thinking who is talking and who's talking about what. And I also noticed that the white community, the white queer community is bypassing racial topics very seriously, I think. And they talk about it, but it's about who's talking. And also when we think about STDs and HIV, um, I also had a lot of criticism from people who I also knew myself personally, who before I started making the work, they knew I was researching it. And, you know, these gay white men, you're stupid and you're ignorant for doing this work. They said that to you? Yes. Why? Why? What, was it out of fear? or I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. And I tried to deal with that in the artwork and the piece. Um, basically, yeah, I mean, Lily and I also talked about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, whenever you're dealing with topics of marginalization and discrimination, you're, you know, somehow all of these ideas are connected to class and not all the time, but sometimes class is also connected to race. And so, sorry, my, my dog is <laughs> struggling here. But yeah, when you talk about something so serious like HIV, yeah, ACT UP was made up of white men and also very, uh, the one of the founders of ACT UP. I mean, I'm not saying that this in a negative way, but he was, he was coming from a very privileged background. He was a stockbroker and I believe his brother is one of the, I guess he's like one, a chairman at Barclays. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, and I thought about that, like, what does that mean? So I looked it up and he, he did have a lot of money and access. That's not to say that what his work was horrible, but it's all about, you know, you have to think about why that is. And who has access, like you said, who has power. His access, his power. You know, and, um, you know, and so I was thinking about why have women of color been all the time bypassed when we think about discrimination? You don't think about women of color. You don't think about all of these topics. You think about gay white men and they are definitely threatened when you challenge them, especially about the HIV topic. That's not to say that they have not been a they've been a they have not been a community that hasn't been affected by HIV and AIDS but there are other communities that never get talked about and yeah. there are different layers of shame that's involved women's sexuality is very different than male sexuality heterosexual women are very their sexuality is looked at very different uh, differently you know these layers are very they're not comparable really you have to take it as it comes and you know they're all very dynamic and they're all very unique um so yeah when i started to research this topic yeah the art world has not dealt with this kila beja has dealt with this but there 
you know, if I go to the art world and I look at artworks, historical, you know, art, you know, the last 10 years, I haven't seen many artists doing work about HIV and women of color or STDs. Mm. And that's a reality. That's a definite reality. It's not, you know, art is for me about experience. It's about what's going on in the world. You know, it's not about making pretty pictures. It's about what's going on. That's what I learned about in art history. You know, art is about what's going on in real life. And, you know, there's hopefully, hopefully but there's so many art and there's I a go place, to art fairs. I didn't like, nope. But you know, there's a place for everything. Yeah, there's yeah. a place for everything. Let them do that. Yeah. You know, let them do that. There's yeah. a place for everything. I don't believe in censorship, but you know, um, I, I was, um, trying to deal with these questions, these bigger topics of discrimination. How is race bypassed in larger themes of discrimination? How are women of color consistently bypassed and, a lot of people, uh, they consistently blame women for trouble. And this was something I wanted to highlight in all of the work in the exhibition. Yeah. And relationships are complicated. They're dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to look at interpersonal relationships and how women are always looked at as the problem. They're always, cons you know, all the blame, all the faults are blamed on women. And if we think about STDs, a lot of, and we dealt with this in the video, a lot of people can say it's the women, it's the woman's fault. It's the fault of Africa. We have HIV. We don't know where HIV has come from. We don't know where a lot of STDs come from, but we can blame it on certain people. But then those people are, are always consistent, consistently bypassed. Yeah. And as Lillian said, African-based organizations are not funded in Germany. That's a very serious problem. Yeah. Do you have, did you ever had, did you ever had concerns about you as a Asian woman representing a black woman? No, not really. A little bit, but Lily and I talked about it. I mean, these are our shared experiences and, you know, we were dealing with, you know, different things, but similar things. And, you know, art for me is about bringing people together. It's about having a big dinner party and having people come together from different places they don't know each other and you talk about things and some of those things can be challenging and some of those things can provoke questions and art for me is about bringing people together and communicating things and you know every time I meet one of my protagonists it's an opportunity to learn about how we are connected and we don't know each other and we're coming from different places in the world but we still share an experience and I try to make that very apparent in the artworks that you know we all share these experiences of rejection of failure heartbreak and you know Lillian and I had a lot of these experiences together also we talk about race and we talk about all of these ideas of being exoticized women of color are looked at very differently than white women in Europe and how do you also deal with interracial relationships in Europe with a white man that's very particular we both had a lot to say about that for sure so I didn't really have so many, I mean, I wanted to be cautious about what I was doing because, you know, I can't represent a community I don't belong in. And Lillian also can't represent a community she can't belong in, but we can talk about those things yeah. and we did. And how do we deal with that, you know, in our experience? So hopefully people can see that, they can feel it. And, you know, it's about, a com it's a combined effort at the end of the day. I don't believe art should be, you know, cutting people off 
from different communities, it should be critical, but it shouldn't cut people off and make them feel left out. And art can do that. It can make people feel left out because all of the time. <laughs> class and all of these different things. But, you know, it's about bringing people together, about having a big dinner party and, you know, seeing what can happen from that, what kind of discussions can happen in your personal life and also in the broader discourse of all of these topics. So I really tried to make that very clear in the exhibition. Yeah, yeah. I asked that question. I was just really curious in terms of representation because like there's like a long history of also, you know, white men also trying to represent, you know, yeah. people and not realizing that power dynamic. But I thought your show did a good job in the sense that you had a range of different works and it was clear that it was, I didn't sense that same level of, fetishization no. or take advantage of. And then you also had two other videos that were more personal. Yeah. I felt like, and one was a video that uh, looked at Chung Lee mm. and then the other one. Uh, bitches and witches. Yeah. 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 It, they were, they were intense to do the video collages. Um, I thought that those videos would complement the main video and all the other works really um in, in a way that the main video couldn't do it was playful it was in your face it also looked at relationships it also looked at race it also looked at you know domestic labor issues um issues that have to deal with marriage breakups and how do you deal with invisible misogyny in your own life and from a pop cultural perspective also because all of these all those two video collages all of those works were derived from Hollywood movies, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and things that I grew up with. I mean, Metropolis was the oldest video, but I know I, I thought, um, you know, I wanted those videos to also tell a story, a more dynamic story of what the main video couldn't do. Yeah. And it was dealing with all of these, how women are looked at in the media and what that means and how you can join all of these things together and you know how it also creates a very distorted image of women and labor and in relationships so i i it, they're they're a little bit perverse the videos but they're definitely they're very fun they're very in your face i mean of course the cool girl dealt with tina turner's experience with ike turner i mean i didn't know that Tina Turner was actually getting abused mm. for a number of years by Ike Turner and how Ike Turner was always, it was always about him in a way. And she was kind of like the one that was left on the side. And it looked at that dynamic. It looked at the dynamic between Chung Lee and her white female adversary. And also how Lucy Lee was dealing with this in Kill Bill. Mm. So I tried to really come up with a very funny way of looking how, women of color deal with these issues in the media and how they're often portrayed in the media. So it's a very bloated idea of race and women. It's not reality, but it's, it's a very distorted angle. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, the way you installed it was really nice because the, the main video with Lillian, that's with the sound and the sound pervaded the space. And then the, yeah. these two videos, you had headsets. Mm -hmm. So I like this idea of like underlying this really intense topic is sort of like these other topics that tackle it in a more playful manner. Yeah. You can't, it's all like sort of this one idea, one piece. Yeah. I mean, all of the works I think sing along together. They're all, they were all made to be together. I hope that in the future one day, some of them can be together again, but probably not. So this is a very fortunate ex exhibition to have all of these works come together. And I think it provides a very bold 
and wide image yeah. of and perspective of all of these dynamic issues for sure that's what i really tried to do yeah because the works can stand by themselves but in a group it's like a dinner it's like a dinner party you know you have different courses and it, you have the main dish you have a dessert you have other accompanying dishes and it's all about the experience and how do you experience all of these dishes together and, and frame each other they frame each other they inform each other it's it's like a family but yeah, I, you know, I always try to up until this point because I'm still, you know, making exhibitions and I'm still, you know, doing uh, solo exhibitions, not on a regular basis. Um, I'm still trying to provide, I'm using the solo exhibition space to talk about very big idea, very big ideas. So that's what I try to do. And yeah, so hopefully people get that. I mean, the whole show is in the dark to get people to relax a little bit and no one's looking at them. They're not under pressure. And it's all about navigating your fears because the fear of being looked at and not being called normal is a very terrible fear that pe many people live with and they can relate to. It's not just people of color. It's not people that are, you know, dealing with class issues or these issues that, you know, are related to singular themes. Everyone deals with this. So, I really wanted to try to navigate fear mostly and this idea of normality, normalcy. So normalcy is something that's confronted, but I dealt with it in a way that I can relate to, mm -hmm. which is I can relate to being a woman. I can relate to being, you know, a woman of color. I can relate to being American coming from this pop culture theme. And I can relate to also getting older and what it means to be a single woman without children. And that is something that many people discriminate. And that is something I tried to talk about. I tried to. Lillian also talked about it a little bit because if you're a woman and you're not married and you don't have a husband and you don't have children, you don't have a status yeah. to many people. That's something that people don't take seriously. And I can tell you right now, I think my family might think I'm crazy because I'm not married. And I don't have children. You know, being a woman, you have to have family. You have to have a, you know, you're defined by your children and by your husband. I don't define myself like that, mm. but many women do. And that is, I think, closely linked to misogyny, to codependent relationships between men and women. That is something that I try to deal with in the exhibition, but it's visible, but not as visible as the other themes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's best to like, not spread yourself too thin yeah yeah you're right yeah i tried to focus on the main themes but you know yeah so i i think the show is really for me about navigating personal fears and that's why i wanted it to be relatable when so when does a show close august 18th okay all right there's a little bit of time yeah there's some time yeah. um how how can people find you best way uh any yeah anything you want to that did i miss that you want to talk about um well i'm available i'm available You're i'm found <laughs> i'm found on Chris uh, is available everyone yeah i'm available i'm i'm on social media of course my full name is krista juhyun d'angelo and i'm my website's krista c h r a s t a j d a n g e l o dot com that's my website and it's it needs a bit of an update. Let's just say there's some technical failure happening. But um, I worked for me. Uh, yeah, but there are issues with it okay. because of the server. But then mm. I'm obviously on social media. My Instagram is Krista 
chrsta six seven five at Instagram. But you know, I I try to you know only talk about my work in public space. Obviously, what do you, what do you mean? Like um, you don't post about it? You do? No, I don't post about my personal life. Like oh, a lot of okay, people okay, do. Yeah, so okay, I just yeah. try to make a very work related, mm-hmm, you know, things yeah. like that. But yeah, I, I think like the only thing I can say that you know I I'm really looking forward to in the future is seeing where things go. I mean, you know, life doesn't stop. And it's always a, whenever you do exhibitions and make artwork, it's, it's always a surprise. It's always a surprise. You never know what you're going to get. And when I was making all these works, I didn't know how they're going to turn out. You know, I had an idea, but you never know. And it's always, you know, the work makes itself. You let the artwork, especially the videos make itself. And it's always like, the artwork tells you something you don't even know. Yeah, so I, I never know how my videos look like. Yeah, it's impossible to know. I mean, I don't. I'm not that kind of a video artist where it's like I get you know the idea and you plan it. Mm-hmm. It's a spontaneous, fun experience, yeah. you know. And I really enjoy the long process of making very long artworks. You know, it's a relief at the end of the day when you're done with it. So, so I'm happy with how it came out, and I think the artist talk on July 30th will be also very riveting, and um, we're going to talk about many things. What time is the talk? 7 p.m. Okay, and right. it's at the gallery. And I'll try to I'll try to edit and release this before then. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. We'll she, see. I, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's going to hit a lot of intense themes, also. Mm-hmm. So, race, STDs relationships, women, yeah. all the topics people don't like talking about. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully it won't be crashed by yeah. another event. Yeah. Well, you know, we never know how these things go, but I just think that like, um, I'm going to focus on like what the work should do, what it, it can do and what it, you know, what I want it to do. But yeah, it's really been a great experience and I'm just happy that like uh, it's this exhibition is out yeah do you feel sad no okay no i whenever i finish works i'm like what a relief let it do what it wants to do and it's weird because you know as you as i've gotten older you see the works change and you see the work and you're like god why did i make that why did i do that you know and it's like it's good that it it did that and you know that was a time in my life at that time i made that work because it made sense to me at that time but i'm never going to do it again Mm. and for me it's a release of you know, I deal with these questions and I'm never going to do that work again. And I don't want to do it again. And it's just a way of dealing with something personal to me. And then you just move on. Yeah. And it's like, why did I do that five years ago? So you never know where life leads you. It's it's a beauty of being an artist. You just never know. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Krista. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing what you do next. Yeah, me too. I don't know what that's going to (laughs) be. Probably a lot of sculptures, but the sculptures are not cheap to make. I got to tell you that right now. No, I've been avoiding it. (laughs) It's horrible. It's fun. It can be really fun, but it's a lot of like fucking mess, man. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. 
This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.